Well, today is the start of a new series, and I'm really pumped about it. It is four weeks. For one, I am preaching two weeks in a row, and then closing out the two weeks are our founding pastors, Philip and Holly Wagner. It's going to be a good month, man. You need, this is the month where you want to tune in every single week, because I believe all these weeks are going to connect. And the series that is basically uh, what we're going to be talking about, the series is simply titled Church Words. Church words. I was on an Instagram fishing around, and somebody was uh, doing an interview, and they were like, "Well, that's kind of like a church word, and you know, it's a little bit Christianese. It's a church word, and sometimes in church, in order to be relevant, we become unbiblical, and I think it's dangerous. Like, I, I want to be relevant, meaning that I don't want to be." irrelevant. I I want you watching to be able to understand, but I don't want to leave out parts of the Bible um, because every single part of the word of God will bring blessing to your life. And so then sometimes we, we swap out words and I get that. So sometimes we say things like community when, when the word fellowship is actually powerful, it is a group of people that the Holy Spirit has brought together that are on the same mission, that have the same mind. So we replace the word fellowship with community. And I don't know if I'm going to actually speak on fellowship. I might. And community is a great word, but it's like, oh, fellowship is a little old school. So let's call it community. But, but you can be in the community doing a bunch of really raggedy things, but the biblical word of fellowship is no joke. It is the Holy Spirit unifying people. And I get it. It might not be a relevant word, but it is a powerful one. And I want to make sure that we are teaching on what is powerful, not just what is relevant. So we're going to be taking about four weeks and breaking down a couple of church words, if you will, that I believe will bless you. And the church word for today... I wish I had a board back here, like on the game show that just flipped over in the LAD Sam, We need to spend, we, well, we got to give away money to the city. But if we, people didn't need so much, I'd have an LED wall and we got the church word for today is holy. Holy. We stay away from holy, don't we? We don't like that word. Like, like somebody's like, oh, shoot. Okay. Somebody put, nobody wants to put holy in, put holy in the chat. Be like, ooh, like, can I say all four letters? Like, do I leave out something? Like, is this a big church word that we don't hear a lot about? And I believe it is powerful, powerful, powerful. And so I'm going to preach a message around this word holy called don't miss your exit. Don't miss your exit. Exit. We're going to take a look at Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6, and then we're going to pray because I need the Holy Spirit to help me. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. You need to know that you are God's treasured possession. We, well, I, I want to speak that over you, and I want to tell that to you. And he says this, For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Father in heaven, uh, I need your help every time, but specifically this one, as we dive into this word that I believe is the greatest um, understanding that someone could have of you, um, is that you are holy. And so, Father, will you help me like you always do in Jesus' name? Amen. The, the word holy is in the Bible over 500 times. And as I was doing a, a study uh, on the word holy, 
I realized something interesting that I could find it in the book of Genesis only once. It's when God said, I'm going to set apart a Sabbath day. And the seventh day, he called it holy. And I haven't been able to find any other use of the word holy in the book of Genesis. Now, the book of Genesis means beginning. And so I'm not trying to just add this to anyone's theology. I'm more just presenting an interesting thought that in the beginning, God only brought up holy once. And so sometimes we're on the beginning of our journey and we're not yet ready to really understand what God's holiness means because we're in the beginning. But sometimes after the beginning, God has to begin to give us revelation about who he is so we can discover who we are. And only when we discover who he is and who we are, can we do what God has called us to do. So in the book of Genesis, holy has brought up one time. But in the book of Exodus, it is in the book of Exodus almost 50 times. What is it that made God put the word holy and everything he wanted to be holy in the book of Exodus 50 more times than he put in the book of Genesis? I think we're going to dive in and maybe God's going to speak to us as the reason why, but what does this word holy mean? This word holy pertains to being set apart, to be separated, separated from different mindsets that the world may have, separated from different understanding. It is to, uh, to be separated, to be pulled out of something, to be unique. One of the things that lets me know someone's living a holy life is that the crowd doesn't really agree with what you're doing. I have found that if the world applauds it, it might not be holy. Sometimes holiness uh, creates this separation uh, if you will, from the affirmation that we seek from the world. It means to be unique and pure in the sense of superior moral qualities. And watch this, possessing certain essential divine qualities in contrast to what is human. So when you are holy, you are not doing what comes natural to you. When you are holy, you are doing what comes supernatural to you from your relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus should be producing actions, thoughts, and, and morals that are completely opposite from your humanity. It is holiness when it's operating in our life. It is our humanity is yielding to the divinity that is within us, the Holy Spirit. And so there is no such thing as this is who I am when it comes to holiness. It is, this is who God is when it comes to holiness. And I am a vessel for who he is. John the Baptist said this, I need to become less so Christ can become more. It is the decrease of the human nature is unforgiveness. The divine nature is forgiveness. The human nature is anxiety. The divine nature is peace. The human nature is hopelessness. The divine nature is hope. And what holiness is for God, it is not a character attribute of God. It is God. One theologian described holiness as this. It is the sum total of all of God's perfect attributes and character is holiness. It's if you added it all up, it's all perfect, and it equals holy. And so when we say uh, we desire to be holy, when God says in his word that I'm setting apart a holy nation, he is not saying I want you to be like me. 
You got to be very careful. I've read this because sometimes we go, I want to be like Jesus. And I do. But when you are operating in the righteousness and the character that God has called you to operate in, you are not, human holiness is not closing the gap between you and God. It is widening the gap between you and the world. I'm going to say that again. Human holiness is not closing the gap. No matter what you do, Jesus doesn't say, man, you are, wow, you're a little bit, wow, you're just like, wow, you're holy like me. No, no, no. God is God. You are, holiness is widening the gap. So when you're forgiving, the world doesn't forgive like that. When you're operating in the truth of God's word, the world says, no, you need your own truth. Everyone has their own truth. No, it's widening the gap between cultural narrative and biblical narrative in my life. And it is powerful. So here is why I'm confused. If this is so powerful, then why didn't God talk about it a lot in the beginning? Genesis means beginning. Genesis means beginning. And he brought it up once. But yet in the very next book of the Bible, he brought it up 50 times. And I'm starting to think it is possible because God didn't bring it up in the beginning with Genesis. The beginning, he brought it up with Exodus. And Exodus means exit. It simply means exit. God prepared an exit out of something for an entrance into something. So he didn't even talk to them about the promises of God, which he wanted them to enter into. Remember, the language is, I want you to enter into the promised land. He didn't talk about where they were entering into until he needed to address where they were exiting out of. So do you got a dream that you want to enter into? Is there a promise that you need to enter into? Is there a kingdom? Yes, the kingdom of God that you need to enter into. Is there a destiny and a purpose that you need to enter into? Well, in the kingdom of God, your entrances are based off your exits. And I think so many times we pray about the entrance, we don't realize that God... Uh, 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 the, the prerequisite of an entrance is an exit. So you don't just need a revelation of where you're going. You need a revelation of what you need to get out of. And that is holiness, a divine revelation of exit and entrances. The places we desire to leave determine the places we desire to go. And what bridges the gap between where you are and where you want to go is holiness. I got to keep going. This is good. Are you following me? You're tracking with me? Exodus means exit. Here's what's interesting. It, it's, it just means to be set apart. You are sacredly reserved exclusively for dedicated service to God. We don't see this word used a lot in Genesis, but it, 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 it all of a sudden rises up with Moses in Exodus 3, 5, and God tells Moses to take off his shoes after encountering his presence through a burning bush because Moses is standing on holy ground. Isn't that weird? For one, Moses was shepherding sheep, and there would have been like sheep, you know, doo-doo everywhere. And God didn't tell Moses to grab a broom. He said, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. God's supernatural presence purified the ground. Holiness is not cleaning your life up. Holiness is the manifest presence of God where your awareness that God is there is so 
is so on your mind and in your spirit that you change what you do because you're aware of who is there. It is that. And not only that, was there sheep everywhere and God pronounced and proclaimed the ground holy, but they were in Midian. Midian wasn't Jerusalem. They were in Midian. Matter of fact, later in the book of Judges, the Midianites would attack the Israelites. He was on the backside of the mountain in what would later be enemy territory, and God called that place. Matter of fact, the Midian was a town that was owned by Ishmael. And Ishmael, if you remember, in Genesis, was the son that Abraham got in his own strength and had, if you will. And he was supposed to have Isaac, and he slept with his maidservant and have Ishmael. And Ishmael went off with his family and settled in the land of Midian. So here God is taking a land that a mistake was dwelling in and was calling it holy. No change, no correction. I showed up and what was birthed out of a mistake or a failure or a sin is now holy. That's what God's presence does. I just don't get it though, because in the book of Genesis, it only talked about it one time, but in the book of Exodus 50 times, almost 50, oh, Moses was the leader of the exit. And so when it was time to make an exit, it was time to get a revelation of God's holiness. I feel like right now, I'm telling you, we are entering into the greatest season spiritually we've ever been. This will bear not just spiritual fruit, but practical fruit. It's the year of Jubilee. Jesus has come to set the captives free. I am telling you right now, it is the year of the Lord's favor. We are entering into the greatest year of the Lord's favor we have experienced as a church, but we better be mindful of what we are exiting out of. It's our old ways, our old habits, our old sins. The exit produces the entrance. And I felt the Lord say as I prayed for you, don't miss your exit. You know, I remember one time uh, uh, I, 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 was traveling, I was traveling and um, I'm so grateful for Google Maps because Google Maps replaced ways. I hated ways because the lady, I don't know if you remember the lady on ways. Like me and that lady had beef because I would trust her. And Google says, in a quarter of a mile, turn left. Remember Waze? Waze wouldn't even tell you. It would just be like, mega right. I'm like, wait, hold on, man. Is this my cousin on here? Like it would get all hood. And you have to remember you would like yank your car and you would miss your exit. And when you miss your exit, That doesn't mean you're not going to get there. It just takes longer than it needed to. And so God was trying to reveal uh, his holiness to the Israelites so they wouldn't miss the exit to the promise. And the Bible says in in, in one of the following books that what was an eight-day journey to the promised land was 40 years. 40 years of missed exits. I've missed so many exits in my life. I've missed so many exits. I've taken the long way. And I felt like one of the calling or feel like one of the callings on my life is to make sure that not, you don't have to be perfect, but that you miss less exits than I did. And what bridges the gap between the exit and the entrance 
is a revelation of God's holiness. Uh, this French philosopher, Blaise, that's a fire name. It's spelled B-A-I-B-L-A-I-S-E. Blaise Pascal spoke of three orders of greatness. Riches, beauty, and strength fall into his first category of superficial physical greatness. Riches, beauty, and strength. A lot of people desire to be strong. They hate feeling weak. A lot of people desire to have money. Um, obviously, on Instagram, a lot of people desire to uh, be, you know, influential with their beauty. And, and this philosopher, he was a Christian, said that this is the first category of greatness, the lowest category. He said, above this is a higher second level of greatness. It is the greatness of genius, science, and art. So many people in L.A. want to be artists. So many people in L.A. Uh, only want to do what they can understand, science. So many people um, believe that the mind is greater than the presence of God, genius. And he said, the greatness of the art of Michelangelo or the music of Bach or the brilliance of Albert Einstein, these stand, in his opinion, way above superficial physical greatness. So he's giving levels of greatness. The first level is riches, beauty, and strength. The second level is genius, science, and art. But he said, however, according to Pascal, there is a third kind of greatness, the order of holiness. And there is an almost infinite qualitative difference between the second and third categories. The fact that a holy person is strong or weak, rich or poor, highly intelligent or illiterate does not add or subtract because that person's greatness is on a different and almost infinitely superior plane. It is open to every one of us to become great in the order of holiness. Think about that. Think about what is shoved down our throat as to what greatness is. Uh, we can pick any filter we want to make our eyes change a different color. We can invest in GameStop and become an overnight success. Uh, we operate in our own strength, and this man is suggesting, and I am agreeing, that it is a very low level of greatness. We can get a record deal and be applauded for our mind and um, all that stuff is great, but the highest level that a human can reach is a level of an understanding of personal holiness, a deep desire to have the character of God. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, but I'm telling you, God wants you to have a perfect desire of an imperfect outcome. What I mean by that is he wants your desire for holiness to be perfect. It's basically saying, God, there's nothing I want more than your character and your truth operating in my heart. And if I fall short, there is grace, but there is nothing I want more. Grace is to cover the gap between your desire to be holy and your inability to do so. Grace is not for what you don't desire to do. That's very important. You actually encounter grace through your desire to be like God and your reality that you're coming up short. That's how you encounter grace. Most people don't encounter the grace of God because they don't have the desire for the righteousness. And so they miss out on the grace of God. I am coming up so short in this area, but my life is overwhelmed with grace because I want it so bad. And I believe that God is saying, I got to prepare you for your entrance with this revelation that I am holy. The, the, uh, 
I believe Exodus has some deep revelations that can ensure we don't miss our exit into favor, that we don't miss our exit into hope, that we don't miss our exit into the promises of God. And the book of Exodus has four main biblical themes that are so important if we're not going to miss our exit. And the first one is simply liberation, freedom. God set the captives free in the book of Exodus. They were enslaved for 400 years, and he set them free. Freedom, you got to write this down, because we are being told different things about freedom that are not true. True freedom is not doing what we want or living your truth. True spiritual liberation is God made a way for us to do what we do. It's not freedom unless God made the way for it to happen. Then you are doing that in freedom. If you make the way, you'll end up in bondage. If God made the way, you will end up in a revelation of his faithfulness and his goodness. How many people know that what you're doing right now, God made a way to do that. And now you can do that thing in freedom because you know God made a way. God made a way. Liberation is one of the main themes of Exodus. The second main theme of Exodus, and this is important, is the law, God's word. And I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about where you put more emphasis on the law than Christ. But the law was important. Before he got to that verse in Exodus 24, Exodus 20 through 23, God is laying down the groundwork of his biblical principles. Why? Because they're getting ready to step into the promised land, y'all. He had to show and reveal who he really was to them to prepare them for what he had for them. He gives the law in Exodus 20 is the 10 commandments and 21, it gets deep. In Exodus 22, it gets even deeper. And I think Often in church, we often want God to reveal his promises, but first he often reveals his principles. He reveals his principles before his promises. And we reject the principles and then pray for the promises. You can fill up churches doing that. What's God's principle on this? What's God's principle on that? We have people who email us sometimes that don't want to come to our church unless we tell them what we believe is different than the Bible. I don't get to change the principles. I don't, I didn't make them up. They're thousands of years old. I am a steward of the principles, not a curator. Oh my God. And some of these principles, I don't want to steward. Why do you think it took me 30 years to be a Christian? I did not volunteer for this. I was dragged, nose bleeding, jacked up. I can't change this stuff. It's not my fault it says that. I'm not a curator of principles. I'm a steward of principles. I don't get to make it up as I go along. I don't get to adjust who God is to make me feel comfortable. There's sometimes I just have to deal with, I don't like that it says that. But I can't change it. I can't change it. Somebody remember the old school used to have whiteout? Somebody reading their Bible with whiteout. Like it's the word, not a menu. You don't place an order. It's so important because it's what prepares you for all that God has for you. This is so important. The principles are often the directions to make sure you don't miss the exit of the promises. I'm going to say it again then, Jamaica, since it hits you in your spirit. I'm going to say it again. I said the principles are the directions to make sure you don't miss the exit 
of the promises. He brought liberation, and then he brought the principles, the law, because he didn't want them to miss the exit. We must be rooted in God's word, rooted in God's principles, because sometimes our purpose is not on a path, it's on a pivot. Let me tell you what I mean by that. See, sometimes we think purpose is a path. We're over here, and our purpose is over there. So God, you got to show me the path. I don't want to miss my exit. Got it, Pastor Julian. So let me walk over here, wander away from God's word, wander away from the church, wander away from biblical principles, because over here, that's not how they roll over there. When the reality is God's uh, promises are often not found on a path, but in a pivot. I don't know if you're a sports fan like I am, but there is a term in basketball called a pivot foot. And a pivot foot is you got to keep one foot planted where you are and then pivot to make movement. So often what I'm discovering in my life when I was wandering and jumping on every single path, trying to discover purpose, that most of my purpose was not on a path, but in a pivot. I got, I'm planted in God's word. And what a pivot is, is that if you move your pivot foot, You are called for traveling and you got to give up the ball to the other team. And so you can't move your pivot foot because you'll be called for traveling. So they're holding the ball and they're keeping one foot planted and they're moving the other foot, getting movement. See, what I want to preach to you right now is that when you're planted in God's word, you can pivot into the entertainment industry. When you are planted in God's word, you can pivot into marriage. When you are planted in God's word, you can pivot into your destiny. You don't move your foot out of planted in God's word. You just continue to pivot over and over again. And the more you pivot, the more you're in your purpose. Sometimes it's not on a path, it's on a pivot. I got to keep myself planted in God's house. I got to keep myself planted in God's word or I'm going to miss the exit. Liberation, the law, God's principles, and then the covenant, the covenant. This is the agreement between God and his people that we're going to be mutually committed to each other and After God gave them the liberation, he gave them the principles, and then he gave them the covenant. The Bible says that in Exodus 24, verses 8 through 11, Moses, uh, they walked up the mountain after God gave them all the principles, and they agreed. Moses then took the blood of the animals they had sacrificed, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand or strike down these elders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Y'all, they were hosting God. They were hosting God, a holy God. The people were hosting holiness in his presence. That's the fourth thing. Covenant, excuse me, liberation, law, covenant, and presence. And in God's presence, he gave them the principles so they would understand how to host what is holy. I'm a, you got to write this down. Some of your greatest answers to prayer and your greatest season 
of blessing and favor will come after learning to host what is holy. I'm going to say that again because I feel like saying it again. Some of your greatest answers to prayer and your greatest season of blessing will come after learning to host what is holy. Allowing the Holy Spirit to clean up the sin in your life, to clean up the sin in your thinking, to clean up the sin of unforgiveness, the sin of all this stuff that we're dealing with makes us a host for what is holy and makes sure that we don't miss the exit. Because I have found the greater, the greater, the greater the blessing, the smaller the writing gets on the sign. And so the, the character of God and the righteousness of God sharpens our vision to be able to see what God has for us, to be able to see what God has for my family. God, you got to get rid of what is clouding my vision because I need to be able to see. And so God prepared them in Exodus, the exit for the entrance of the promised land in the book of Joshua. We need to exit out of this craziness of of, uh, viruses and social distancing and not being around people. And I'm believing that God would restore everything we lost times two. But in Isaiah 35, the Bible doesn't talk about God giving us that stuff. He talks about the way to that stuff. In Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10, listen to this. And the the title is Hope for Restoration. This is why holiness is so important. Watch this. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with with spring crocuses. I don't even know what that is, but that's nice. I'm going to get some crocuses. I'm going to get my wife some crocuses for uh, Mother's Day. Y'all sell crocuses in your business? Sylvia, shout out. She make her own flowers. I don't know if she has crocuses, but they're fire. Oh, look, right here. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon. Don't that sound like a pivot? Where you are, you're going to pivot out of the wilderness into the green pastures. You don't even need to move. It says, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon, then there the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God with this news, the news of the gospel that Jesus is coming. Strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear for God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived and a great road will go through that once deserted land and it will be named the highway of holiness. He says, I'm gonna get you out of this thing. But the highway is holiness. The character of God. The righteousness of God. The mercy of God, the sum total of God's attributes of being holy bridges the gap between where we were 
and where we're going. And God is saying, don't miss your exit. Isn't that a beautiful verse? In the Bible, there is a uh, thing that happens that is called uh, trisagion. T-R-I-S-A-G-I-O-N, a trisagion. And a trisagion is when the Hebrew language in the Bible decides to repeat something three times. There is no way in our English language, we have like words that mean a little bit, words that mean a lot, like big and bigger. They don't have any emphatic like language like this. They're, in the Hebrew language, there's no way for them to really emphasize things. I think there's like 8,000 Hebrew words. We have like 400,000 words. So there's all these different words that mean different things. And in the Hebrew language, it is not so. So when they wanted to emphasize something, they just said it three times. They didn't say it a different way. They just said it three times. And they called it a trisagion is what that's called. And do you know that there is only one thing that is repeated three times? There is only one trisagion in the Bible. It is in Isaiah 6 and Revelation. And it's when the angels in Isaiah 6 say, holy, holy, holy. Isn't that interesting? That there is no verse that says love, love, love. <laughs> love is important. But why, do, why isn't there a trisagion about that? I forgot what it's called. Hope, hope, hope. Faith, faith, faith. Matter of fact, Jesus oftentimes would say verily, verily, which means truth, truth. But he never said verily, verily, verily. <laughs> but in the Bible, it's holy Holy, holy. I'm starting to think that maybe the most important thing we can know about God is not his love. It's his holiness. Because why does it matter that God loves me if it's not a holy God that does so? I think we can't receive God's love until we understand his holiness. Jesus came, a holy God. God so loved the world that it was a holy God. And it is because a holy God was spit on. A holy God was given a crown of thorns. A holy God was beaten and flogged. A holy God had nails in his hands and nails in his feet. Because a holy God did it. That's love. That a holy God would experience what is unholy at the chance that all of his sons and his daughters would be gathered together in his presence, not missing out on all that he had for them. I'm going to pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. Holy God, to die for all that is unholy. And it is this holiness, the the sum total of all of your attributes as God that makes it so valuable that you would even love me, that would make it so valuable that you would even love us. Yes, love is profoundly important, Jesus, but it becomes even more important when that love is given by who is holy. 
to what is unholy, humanity. And so this holy God died a sinner's death so that we could live a godly life and not miss out on anything that God has for us. And this holy God, Jesus, with nails in his hands and nails in his feet, but with you and I in his heart, died for our sins so that in moments of quietness and repentance and and heart change that we could truly be his holy people, a royal priesthood. And so if there's somebody online right now that needs to be forgiven by this holy God who died for unholy people, just put your hand on your heart and say, Father, I have so many things I need to be forgiven of. Maybe just say that right now. I have so many things I need to be forgiven of. And just repeat after me. And I know because of the blood you shed, I can repent. I can't change me, but your presence can change me. And so I want to follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life. I don't want to miss my exit. I don't want to miss all that you have for me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. I believe. In Jesus' name, amen.